Hello everyone and welcome to another Scotchway podcast and this is a Glasgow Film Festival special because we're going to talk to the director of Scotch, the Golden Dram, Andrew Peat. Hello Andrew. Hello, Alistair, nice to see you and good to be here. Um, now you were just saying before we go any further that um, this film uh, has two names depending on where it's playing. Right, uh, in the UK and Ireland it's the title Scotch, the Golden Dram, as you just said, but internationally it's Scotch, a Golden Dream. I think this is interesting and we'll come on to talk about it later because uh, there's no doubt that scotch or the whiskey industry has has gone global to use a term that someone else used once. So tell us a little bit about, because I haven't seen the film yet, I'm seeing it tonight, I'm very much looking forward to it, but um, why this film, why we decided to make this film? Uh, this goes back a little bit. Do you want to like a, how I got into whiskey myself, or just the film? You can do whatever you like. Oh, okay. There's no, yeah. <laughs> uh, my background is this: my grandfather was Glaswegian. Uh-huh. He emigrated to the United States, uh, and so in my family, of course, we always had this uh, connection with Scotland. And I still have relatives here who I visit whenever I come over. Uh, and I came as a, an exchange fellow. Uh, for one year at the University of St. Andrews. All right. And so and I loved my time there. Really enjoy. I still have uh, still in communication. For example, one of my professors, he's going to come and see the film next week when oh, it plays fantastic. again in Glasgow. Yeah. Uh, so uh, then later on, many years later, I went to graduate film school and I went to the University of Southern California School of, uh, of Film and TV. And it's a three-year program. And at the end of the program, we have to take one in what's called industry course. So it's right. a course that r- prepares you for the professional world. And I took the course uh, pitch. It's called the pitch class, and we just learn how to pitch to studio executives and stuff. And e- each of us has to prepare several pitches. And it's common to you know pitch big projects because that's what you know Marvel films, Disney, yeah. that sort of thing. But I wanted to have at least one of my pitches a film that I could truly realistically make. Um, not a pie-in-the-sky type of thing. And so, for me, I'd already done some short documentaries, and I thought, well, a documentary is, is easier, it's a smaller team, it's a lower budget, it's, it's much more reachable. So I began considering various possibilities for a documentary, and I remembered that when, when I came to Scotland, my year there, I'd never really had Scotch whiskey before, but I was here and I said, this is the land of whiskey. Yeah. So I went into a liquor store and I said, hi, I'm this American student, don't know anything about whiskey, what do you suggest? I want to learn something. And so he suggested that I uh, get a half bottle, like the 37 centiliter bottle yeah. of uh, Glenmorangie uh, 10-year-old single malt. Right. And, and it came in this beautiful little, uh, like a tin box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's printed, like a two-color tone printing. And I still have that box to today. It's in my <laughs> home, it's on my shelf, and I always look at that. Um, and so when I was considering what film to do, I thought, you know, I wanted to research a little bit about whiskey and the, what was available already. I found one film that was it's much older and has a very sort of simple, dry documentary about the making of whiskey and a little okay. bit about the, the history. And so I thought, well, there's nothing really there that will catch people's interest. And so I thought, well, here's a, you know, this, this is a, a real possibility. And, and um, so I, I prepared my pitch, did it. The professors really liked it. They said, you should really think about making this. Wow. Um, and so that's when I, you know, considered 
can I do this? Uh, after graduation, a few months passed. Uh, at, before I graduated, I spoke with one of my classmates. Uh, he's an Indian. Uh, uh, his name is Arjun, and he was a cinematographer. Has a wonderful eye for capturing unique pictures. And I talked with him and said, "Look, I'm thinking about making this film about Scotch whiskey. Would you be interested in, in joining and being part of the team?" And he said, "Sure, why not?" Uh, and so. Uh, it was around December of 2014, right? And uh, I sort of said, "Well, am I going to do it or not?" And I said, "I think I'm going to do this." So I, I contacted Arjun again. I said, "Look, I think we're going to do this. Are you in?" And he said, "Okay." Uh, and then I started putting together the rest of the team and really did the pre-production work, sure. which is. Uh, you know, investigating, searching, uh, what is whiskey, how is it made, what are the big distilleries, who are the big names, who are the organizations that are connected to it, uh, for example, the Scotch Whiskey Association, yeah. um, other aspects, because I wanted, my concept was to take the story, in essence, from beginning to end, and I call it from barley to bottle. Yeah, yeah. And so it was even a matter of contacting, you know, farmers, barley farmers, uh, uh, one of the interesting characters in the film is uh, Glass Storm, which is the company that makes extremely high-end whiskey bottles for like the 50-year-old, right. uh, the special edition. Uh, so the, their their bottom price is for their whiskeys, the bottles of whiskey are like 10,000 pounds, mm, mm. You know, and then go up from there. Uh, and so they agreed to be in the film. Uh, and we spent half a day or so just at Glassstorm filming them, making glass, and interviewing them as well. And so it was a matter of, you know, trying to get all these different aspects yeah. of the, the whole process um, together. And, and so you asked me, you know, how did this film come about? Um, that sort of, it, there are several, you know, strands that link together. Uh, but what was it about that, um, you know, half bottle of Glen Morangi, which is still some uh -huh. kind of thing that, that kind of captured you? I mean, what was it about the drink itself, I guess? I, previously, I was really, I didn't drink any hard liquor. Mm -hmm. So uh, growing up in Northern California, my mother worked for wineries. And so I grew up more with wine yeah. and beer. Um, and so when I came to Scotland, it was a matter of saying, okay, I'm going to try this out. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. I mean, of course, the first time I tasted it, it's very strong. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's strong to the point, you know, the first time you don't even really taste it. Yes. But after a while, what I did is I used the cap of the bottle as my little cup. <laughs> so I put in, I fill the cap yeah. every night. And just night by night, I just slowly sip that. Yeah. And then after a number of days, you start appreciating the flavor, the aromas. You start pulling out, you know, hints of the fruitiness or the flower. Um, and and so slowly I grew to appreciate that. Yeah. And then after, you know, after a while, then I tried some other whiskeys, you know. Uh, and over the years, that was it was just a matter of that, just trying a few different whiskeys and enjoying it, slowly enjoying it over time. And, and actually by making the film, yeah. I really learned, of course, about whiskey and about how to appreciate it, how to nose it and do these things. And all that is covered in the film. Because it's a drink which um, in, in this country, and I think around the world, has gone such a, a metamorphosis in terms of reputation. Mm -hmm. You know, 
Um, I remember my mum always tells a story about when they had a bottle of whiskey in the house that lasted all year <laughs> and it was like brought out for special occasions oh, and yeah. it cost a huge amount of money as well oh, yeah. in terms of the working man's wage um, and a, in, in the pubs certainly of, of Glasgow and I'm guessing many other cities in Scotland you know the idea of having a half and a half and it just you know it could be whatever whiskey they had there and you would have whatever but over the years um, it's just become this mega industry that um, a, I mean, sometimes it's, it's difficult to get your head round, and I think it's interesting you making it coming from America. I think that'll give it a different perspective than someone who's maybe, you know, it's like back in the middle of it um, here would do. What is the perception in America of, of whiskey as a drink? Is it one of those kind of Scottish totems, you know, like Tarleton, Haggis, whiskey? <laughs> in some sense, yes. I'd say in some sense, yes, because. Then I believe that the statistic is that there are more people of Scottish descent in America than in Scotland. I've heard that, yes. Right. <laughs> uh, and so uh, even, for example, it was interesting is that near my home, they have the largest, uh, the, what do we call it, the Scottish Highland Games. All right. In the world. Yeah. Uh, in and the it's world. Right, yeah, wow. It's right near my home, and over 100,000 people participate every year. Uh, so it's, it's gigantic, and and that was something that I grew up with because it just happened to be near my home, mm -hmm. uh, and so I went there several times. And then you see, you know, the, the, the caber toss, yeah. and the hammer toss, and all these giant men, you know, tossing things back and forth, and of course the dancing and everything. So there's there is actually significant, uh, say, aspects of Scottish culture and history that are in America, yes. simply because of the descendants who keep them alive. Uh, and so, you know, I did grow up with that. Yeah. Uh, and Scotch whiskey is, is part of that. I yeah. Think. And, and I think also there's the, and this is something we do touch on in the film, is that the, there's a sort of iconic nature to Scotch whiskey that you see in Hollywood films yeah. and TV. And you'll see whenever somebody wants to order something that's very special, again, you know, higher class, They'll say, "Give me a scotch." Yeah. You know, or yeah, they'll yeah. say, "Oh, this is a thirty-year-old bottle of blah blah blah." Yes. And, and, and there's mm, there's emphasis there. There's you know there's gravitas. Uh, and so and you don't see that with any other drink. No, you no. Know, I mean, maybe the champagne might be the kind yeah, of closest relationship. Closest, yeah. Uh, and and so that's it's something that is special. I mean, I think in in um, Scotland particularly. There's this kind of emotional connection to it as a drink, you know, mm -hmm. kind of a de defining drink, if you like. And from what I've seen from the trailer of your film, there's an emotional uh, story at the heart of that, particularly surrounding the Brew Claddy mm -hmm. distillery. Right. So could you say a little bit about that? Right. Uh, it, this was uh, this is serendipity. Yeah. In the sense of uh, when I was contacting all of the master distillers and blenders and the distilleries and these. I didn't know exactly who they were. I mean, I, yeah. I could check a little bit online who they were, yeah. uh, and I knew that these were people, you know, veterans of the industry. I, I wanted to really focus on people who had been making whiskey for you know, more than ten years. I mean, that'd be like a minimum bar. Yeah. And so I was really looking for experienced people, and one of them was uh, Jim McEwen. And so part of it was I was trying to contact many of these distilleries and distillers and and see who would be willing to be a part of the film because I knew. I was a no-name, right? Mm -hmm. I contact them and they don't know who I am. And so some of them might just say, uh, no thanks. 
Uh, and but the the ones who said yes, you know, then we arranged for the meeting interviews. And Jim was very welcoming, uh, and he really opened up to us. He he gave us the opportunity to film the whole process at Pukladi. Uh, we also he allowed us to film his family. We filmed his daughters and his grandchildren playing on the beach and things like this. And so he was he really allowed us to get a wonderful look into his life. Now, the serendipity part is this. When I went, I had no idea that Jim was such a big name in the field. He was, you know, this figure. Yeah, they, they call him the Whiskey Man, don't yeah. they? That's it, the um, Whiskey Man of Isla. And, and the other thing is that uh, I had no idea that he was retiring. Mm. And we just happened to arrive the week of his retirement. Oh, wow. <laughs> and he was, he was uh, like, one day he said to us, because we, we were with him about four days on and off filming. And he said, oh, by the way, we're going to have uh, the last tasting of my life. I'm going to film, uh, we're going to do that tomorrow. He had a group of uh, uh, Central and South American uh, distributors right. who had flown over and were doing you know, some learning and tasting and all that. And he said, this is the last one I'm going to do in my life. Would you like to film it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> of course. Yeah. You know? um, and the same thing, just a couple of weeks earlier, his... Uh, his uh, whiskey called Black Art mm -hmm. had just been named the the best uh, single malt in the world. You know, this, this is just like stars, you know, crossing yeah. paths in the sky type of thing. That it was just an amazing uh, thing that we just walked into. Yeah, and I had no idea when we came over that that was the situation. So it was uh, after these events and the amount of access that he gave us that we knew when, when we left Isla, because we, we started off in Isla, yeah. and then we went and filmed in many other distilleries around Scotland. Sure. Um, but when we left Isla, we, we had the, the film team, we had a sense that Jim is definitely, he, if he's not the main character, he's one of the main sure. characters, and because we didn't know who else we were running into and what, what other experiences and what other films we get. Uh, and then it just turned out that uh, because of the footage, uh, he ended up being sort of the main character. And, and there are other major characters yeah, in the sure. film. Uh, but it was just, uh, it was easy, because of his situation and the access, it was easy to uh, mold the film so that he becomes the central character. But Isla itself, I, I, it seems to me, is almost like the, no pun intended, the spiritual home of whiskey. Mm -hmm. Because there, there's multiple distilleries there. Oh, yeah. It has gone through bad times and is now having good times, you know, mm -hmm. with the resurgence of... Um, a whiskey around the world, but particularly mm -hmm. those distilleries, mm -hmm. and because um, I think Brewcladdy had closed down, didn't yes, it? Yes, it was, yes, it was it's been of, closed for many years. Yeah, it actually had been closed three times previously, um, and so that's part of the film is, yeah. is talking about the the history that it had been open, it was closed, it was open, it was closed, it was open, closed, and all these workers had been laid off yeah. and brought back, laid off and brought back, and so it was difficult for them to believe that it would really rise again. And it really has risen yeah, again. It has. It's, it's grown. It's much much stronger than it ever was in the past. Yeah, because I know um, Argyle a little bit, kind of Crinan and area, things like that. Mm. And I know um, how big Brewer Claddy has become in terms of uh, a kind of local success story and a global success story mm -hmm. as well. I mean, I think it's now the way that they're marketed is top, oh, top, top, top range. Um, Even and in, in Taiwan, when I'm at a, a little airport, I can see in the duty-free shop, Brooklady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who could imagine that? You know, a few years ago. And they now, do, you know, I know they started doing their own gin and doing their own vodka, and that, that's one of the the things about uh, 
the resurgence of whiskey is also it's given a lot of other you know drinks a bit of a shot in the arm mm-hmm. because the other distillery I did, do you go to the have you been to the Glasgow distillery which is the young there's one that which is opening down on the Clyde no no so I think it, it, it's not making whiskey yet so it, yeah. you probably wouldn't no. but I do know that they've started because whiskey is something that takes a period of time obviously to oh, drink, yeah. you know minimum three years and one day yeah there you go <laughs> you know it well but other drinks like vodka and whiskey uh, you can start uh, making almost straight oh away. yeah even Brookladi when they first started they needed income because yeah, of, they're going to start making whiskey but you can't yeah. sell it yeah uh, so they began with gin yeah. so they had their own gin it was a botanical yeah yeah botanical gin that was made with a, a number of the plants and flowers from Ireland and that became very successful. Hugely successful. Yeah. I know. I mean, uh, I know uh, it's you know very popular, uh, high-end gin mm-hmm. in some of the bars in, in Scotland. Um, so, were you surprised by, by making films? Was there anything that really kind of thought, well, I never would have thought of that, or this is much bigger than I thought, or hmm. you know, stories that were told? Um, there were several things. Yeah. I mean, was, I'd say they were all happy surprises. Yeah. Right. Uh, and we got so many good interviews. And, and the sad thing is this, is that uh, the final film, the final cut, is only around 2% of what we filmed. Yeah. 98% is on the cutting room floor wow. because we just had to keep cutting down to make yeah. the story. And that's one of the things that the people, audiences who watched it have said, that they enjoy it so much, uh, it makes them laugh, mm-hmm. makes them cry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's a very emotional story. People really get into the characters. Uh, and uh, but they it moves that's yeah. one of the things because uh, people have come to, to me and said you know they thought that most documentaries are kind of slow and boring and tend to be like one subject or mm. you know political situation sure. uh, and they said this is such a different documentary than that and it just it keeps moving and it just it doesn't really slow down it, it, it goes from one to another to another and hopefully that'll you know it keeps the audience's interest and, and, and that's one of the factors that makes it really enjoyable um, but the things that surprised me, I would say, are uh, in, in a really good way, of course, is, is the passion that these people have for their product and the desire to constantly perfect it, mm-hmm. always working to make the best possible thing. And I think that's one of the reasons why Scotch whiskey is so well known around the world and highly respected, because it's, you know, it's good. Yeah, <laughs> it's always good. Yeah, it may not be the particular one that you like, the flavor that you like, the, the expression that you like, but uh, it's always going to be very good. Uh, that was one thing. Uh, another thing that surprised me is that the, the these uh, companies, in essence, they're they're competing with each other. Right? Yeah, but they, uh, the people I talked with, they always uh, only had positive things to say about each other. They That's met, interesting. They never cut each other down. Yeah. Um, and I think that's it's sort of like an unspoken rule among them that they support each other uh, to support Scotch as a you know a global. Yeah, we're all in this together, brand, right? and it helps each of us to. Which is really refreshing, yeah. and it's interesting. Usually, that's the kind of relationship that you get in much smaller um, industries, you know. Mm-hmm. Where you, but to hear it about such a huge industry is really interesting, yeah. and that's one of the other things to mention is that it now is. Uh, there was a play uh, that was taught in schools over here called mm-hmm. The Sheep, the Stag, and the Black, Black Oil, and mm-hmm. it goes back to 
these industries which really kept Scotland going. You had the sheep, you had the hunting and shooting and fishing, and then you obviously had the oil. And almost like the fourth part of that is the golden drama, if you like. Yeah. It's the whiskey industry, because it's just been this global success financially. And I think at this point, whiskey is probably bigger than the others. You know, yeah, oh yeah, it's, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's now sold in some 200 countries. I mean, how many countries are there in the world? I mean, 220 or something? Mm-hmm. And so they're sold in something like 200 countries. Uh, and uh, it's you know well over $6 billion a year. I don't think the sheep do that. <laughs> so how long has uh, the film been out? I mean, it's been to festivals already, right, hasn't it? Right, right. So tell us a little bit about the reception it's had. Uh, the world premiere was at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival, and that was a year ago. I mean, almost exactly a year ago. Uh, and so we, it, we had a fantastic reception there. Uh, and the audiences really loved it. And as a matter of fact, what happened because uh, that's an industry area, it's, it's just north of Hollywood. Right? right. And so a lot of industry people tend to go to these. Okay. Um, and uh, immediately after that showing, I had sales agents, you know, distribution companies come to me and say, we want to represent the film, uh, which was fantastic because then, then we had to choose, you know, which one do we want to go with. Uh, and uh, so then we chose one that we thought would give us the best opportunities. And uh, we, we've been to, <clears throat> before this, we've been to a total of maybe 12 festivals in the United States, Canada, uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina, oh, which is a giant festival. Yeah. Um, and so the festival runs, the reactions have all been the same. People really like it, they love it. They contact us through the website saying, how can we get a DVD? When can we see it again? This sort of thing, when will it be distributed in our country? So that's all been really good. Um, and it's just uh, started the theaters, uh, theater run in Australia and New Zealand. That was about a week, two weeks ago. Yeah. And then here, of course, we're doing the festival. And then March 8th, next Friday, it will open wide. So it's going to go across the UK and Ireland. Oh, fantastic. And, uh, and I'll be giving you the website yeah, yeah. for uh, the list of all the theaters. And that's an ongoing one because we, you know, every week we add in more theaters yeah. and more uh, showing times. So that will, that will list them all so people can find the theater near them if they want to go and see the film. We'll certainly link to that on, on the website as well. And what's the reaction been like? I mean, you know, uh, in terms of uh, what have people said that they really enjoy about it? Because you mentioned just earlier that people that don't particularly aren't particularly into whiskey mm. have really enjoyed the film. Right. Well, because again, the, we the original concept was barley to bar. Yeah. But uh, I knew that from the beginning that really good films are. Uh, crafted around characters, yeah. right? And so we have. I mean, the amazing thing is that within the whiskey world, there's so many interesting characters. I'll bet. I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, as I was saying, so many of these interviews are interesting. We we had to cut out 98 percent of the film because simply for length, mm. right? Uh, and that was that was not easy. You know, we had, oh, I've got this wonderful interview, this great story, well, I can't have it in, because if yeah. you put everything in, who wants to sit and watch a 10-hour movie? No, that's, that is true. That is true. So, uh, that was, you know... That's the director's cut, is it? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so, we've got all these great stories, and that's what people really identify with. So, even, as I said, there were many people who don't necessarily like whiskey, and they talked to me and said, you know, I don't like whiskey, but it's a great movie, because these... 
people are so interesting and the stories they have to tell are so interesting and funny uh, and uh, they see, I think they really see the passion that these people have for their craft, whether it's the farmer growing the best barley, yeah. whether it's the, you know, the distiller making the best whiskey, uh, the, the people who handle the wood. Right, yeah. the, the barrels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or as we said, the you know glass storm with their their perfect glass. And they even talk about it. if if there's a slight flaw in the bottle, they destroy it. And I was like, well, if there's a slight flaw, I can take one back to Taiwan <laughs> with me. Is that yeah. okay? And they're not. That it's a strict rule. Yeah. Any flaw immediately destroyed. See, uh, I'd never so, thought that the higher, most expensive whiskies were getting better quality bottles. But, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so that's uh, that was one thing that we learned that I didn't know about before. Uh, and and it's it just everything has to be perfect. Yeah. There can't be any flaw. It seems to me that most people enjoy watching people that have passion, knowledge, and skill. Mm-hmm. Their skill, you know, almost yeah. doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. If someone does something well and loves doing it, right. then there's something really kind of um, engaging about that. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of the films that really inspired me to do this was uh, a film that I saw. It was made five, six years ago, maybe, called uh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Um, yes, about yes. The sushi master. In I Tokyo. do remember that, yeah. yeah. And again, that's, there's this old man. And what does he do? Every day he goes in and he makes the best sushi. Every day he goes in and makes exactly the same, the best sushi, you know? And he's been perfecting it over decades, right? And then he he teaches his sons to do the same thing. Uh, And that sort of, you know, uh, dedication, discipline, and passion is it's inspiring yeah i mean even if you have no interest in sushi right? <laughs> absolutely yeah. yeah absolutely and so we found the same thing for scotch was that these people have that discipline and love for what they're doing and i might be wrong about this but it seems that documentary making at the moment is at a kind of golden period there's a lot mm. of really interesting documentaries being made and actually showing at film festivals like this one right um what's your experience of it um, that's my uh, training at the at the USC Film School. I did uh, docu- we were doing documentary and narrative, yeah. but I did a lot of documentary work there. Uh, and then getting out and being able to do it now, uh, it's it's very exciting. And I do believe, as you mentioned, is that right now is is kind of a golden era for documentary filmmaking because. You, there's a great variety available, uh, all kinds of topics, and I think one of the things that's really helped out are the, the digital platforms, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Netflix, Amazon, these, these platforms which allow people to easily access documentary films, because yeah. in the past, I mean even now, with our, even with our film, but in the past, you know, if uh, the majority of documentary films never get to see the theater, Yes. right? I mean, when's the last time your average person, you say, oh, someone who's gone last month, they watched the latest Marvel film, and the month before that they saw a Disney film. And the yeah. month be- okay. And you ask that person, when's the last time you saw a documentary in a theater? Mm, yeah. Ten, ten years ago? Or something, Michael you know? Moore or something yeah, yeah, like right. that, yeah. Um, and so it's, it's rare for a documentary to really have a good theatrical run. And, and we're very excited that we're having this opportunity. I mean, it's, it's blowing me away because I wasn't expecting it. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I, as I was mentioning, the uh, digital 
platforms for watching documentary films has really opened up this area because in the past it was very difficult for most people to access a documentary film. They might see it on TV, mm -hmm. perhaps. Uh, but now you can go up to Netflix and just search documentaries and say, oh, that's an interesting one. And you don't, I think part of it is that, you know, going to a theater, someone has to walk out of their house, yeah. get to the theater, find parking, pay, you know, 10 pounds or whatever it is to get into the theater, sit down, watch it. If they don't like it, what are you going to do? But with Netflix, you know, you can just click on it and you start watching, you watch five or 10 minutes, you say, I don't like this, you go to another one. Yeah, yeah. And you don't have to pay all that for it, right? Whereas, uh, or you like it, you just watch it to the end and you tell your friend, hey, I just saw a great documentary, yeah. you know? So I think that it's, it's the ease and convenience which is allowing for this uh, sort of this, almost not necessarily explosion, but certainly expansion of the documentary films. The other thing is that with digital uh, cameras, uh, it's become much cheaper. Sure. And so part of it is just that documentary films uh, cost much less now to make than they used to. Because yeah. in the past, like when I first started making films, it was film. Yeah. Right? You had to buy the film stock, shoot it. You didn't know what you had, right? You had to wait for it to be processed. Mm. A few days later, you pick it up, you look at it, you go, oh no, that doesn't look good. That was out of focus. The, the lighting was bad, whatever. Now with digital, you can immediately get feedback. You see what the image is. If it's good, it's bad. Make adjustments, try again, whatever. And then, and just the the cost is so much lower. You don't have to pay for the film, pay for the processing, all that. So it's much easier, in some ways, to make the documentary films today. And that that allows for an expansion of it. Right? It's easy. More and more people can do it. Yeah. It doesn't mean that more and more people are making good films. Right? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. A, just like you can get lots of cheap whiskey if you want, but if you want the quality, it still takes the time and the craft yeah. and the knowledge and That's the, yeah. Skill, knowledge, and interest, absolute passion. Um, and f I think film festivals such as this one, and the and many that there are now, I mean, you're seeing you're going to Ireland soon. And, um, these are also places where these kind of films have a great life. Right. You exactly. can take them around the world, and, and there's interest in them. Right, and then it gives, I mean, we say cinephiles, right, uh, are usually people who go to festivals. Yeah and it allows uh, people who are interested in film to have you know, access to many films that normally they would not be able to see. Sure. That's the thing is that festivals bring in films that may, might never see a market in, in their home country. Uh, and so I think, yeah, festivals are a great place because, again, you, you, you get a variety, you get to see films that were unavailable otherwise. Um, and, and a lot of festivals are interested in bringing in documentaries. Yeah. Um, so, are you still kind of uh, caught up in Scotch, the film rather than the drink, <laughs> um, or are you? Have you got other projects that you're going to be working on next? Or what's well, I've, I, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't. I try not to stop, and so yeah. the our like I said, pre-production on the film was six months. We came to Scotland. We were here for 32 days. Most of those days were shooting, and then after that, we spent about. Uh, 16 months in editing and then after the editing was locked then we did the sound editing and this final mix and we were very fortunate uh, to be able to get a special deal on the final mix we did it at Skywalker Ranch oh wow that's George yeah. Lucas Star Wars um, and so that's his sound facility in Northern California fantastic um, and the, again I, I grew up in Northern California yeah. so it was easy I, I went and stayed with my mother 
and every day went over for we did it, it was a one week long final mix so it's totally professional the highest quality mm. 5.1 surround which is great if you can go to the theater and see it you get the full surround sound uh, which again is not available usually in documentaries don't usually bother making yes, it because yeah. there's no point yeah um, but we were able to do that so um, now that that's done and you know again we're in the the festival run and, and this is the end of the festivals basically I yeah. think uh, uh, today here in Glasgow tomorrow in Dublin I believe that that's probably the end of our festival run because we are starting to go now yeah. into the market with the, with the theaters and digital downloads and stuff so after I did the Scotch film actually the next summer uh, I shot another documentary in Taiwan uh, which is about a uh, some of the families, uh, businesses who are on this very small island between Taiwan and China. Okay. And so that that was more of a personal project. It's not meant to be like theatrical release or anything right. like that. Okay. It's, it's very limited. And then we uh, shot another film, which is just and it's because that one was finished. That's all done. We finished that off a few months ago, uh, and we've got this other one that we shot. Uh, which is just in this early ages, early stages of editing. Uh, but this covers a more of a global problem. Uh, the title of, of the film is Vanishing Voices, okay. and what it's looking at is the phenomenon of small languages and cultures that are disappearing. They're simply being swallowed up by the majority languages. So, for example, in uh, uh, say South America then you have all these tribal groups sure. yeah, yeah. Uh, but Spanish is the language and so as Spanish is used more and more then these tribal languages are slowly disappearing uh, the same is true if you think about the United States right yeah, yeah. all the Native American tribes almost none of them speak their native language right. anymore they've just disappeared they've vanished uh, and so what I did is the same thing is true in Taiwan because the the when the mainland Chinese under Chiang Kai-shek came to Taiwan they established Mandarin Chinese as the national language and they forced all the schools to use Mandarin only right so children were punished if they used their Aboriginal languages mm -hmm. uh, and as a result uh, these languages have largely been wiped out. And so what we did is we uh, went into uh, one town and focused mostly on one family talking about their history, say over the last 50 years of, of the, <clears throat> what it was like before uh, and what it's like uh, now. Mm -hmm. And using the, sort of this microcosm to, to get a shot of the much greater global problem. Yeah. Because it's, it's the same problem around the world. Sure. Uh, and so that's that's the film that we're working on right now. That sounds fascinating. And then, and then the next film project, I already have a script. So those are documentaries, and now yeah. I'm moving away from documentary into narrative fiction. And there's a script that I've been working on for a long time, and we plan on we as, as soon as we get financing, we'll shoot it. But it's always a problem of financing. Uh, yeah. It's a small budget. It's a low budget sure. film. It's only it would be like half a million dollars. Yeah. Which for for you know regular narrative film is very very, very low. Budget. Yeah. 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 But it's still a lot of money to have but to get. For me, personally, I'm not just reaching into my piggy bank yeah. and pulling that money out. Well, Andrew, thanks very much for talking to us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, it's been a pleasure for me. It's nice to meet you, and, uh, and I'd say hello to your many fans around the world. <laughs> around the world, yeah. yeah. And uh, we'll be back soon uh, speaking to someone completely different. Cheers. Yeah.